So I thought, I don't know whether my consciousness is full consciousness or not. I don't know whether my being is a proper being or not. But I do know where my rapture is. So let me hang out a rapture, and that'll bring me both being and full consciousness. And it worked. through on the uh on the old device but welcome to bliss monkey perhaps five who knows what the, num- the numbers will actually be but um i'm joined today by layla dickinson a royal holloway alumni <laughs> in poetry and other arts i suppose um please introduce yourself layla hello um yeah i'm layla i'm also a fellow podcaster um and me and Dex met last summer and become friends since. Yes, indeed. And uh, in the nature of this show, I wanted to speak to you as I spoke to you on your own podcast about um, about bliss and what that means to you. So I'm curious, how would you um, how would you go about defining it? What does it mean? Mm. What is it? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really interesting when you said about the topic of bliss. And I thought it was such a great topic to choose because I think bliss is so like individually defined, but also so sought after by everyone. I think everyone wants that feeling of bliss. Um, but I think for me, it has lots of different definitions. I think, you know, if you were to say bliss to me, the first thing that would spring to mind would be, you know, lying on a beach in the sun but then I kind of feel like that's the like almost society's view of bliss and then when I thought about it more I kind of thought if I had to think of bliss how I would feel with bliss it would be kind of that feeling of complete calm and complete security and complete self-assurance and not needing anything just feeling very stable so I guess that's what I would think of and how I would define bliss as that that feeling of complete and utter security and happiness Mm. has your uh has that kind of definition evolved i mean i for for me it's certainly evolved and mostly because of the things that i associate with that experience of bliss because i found that i can get it from i have experienced it in many different ways um is this the first time that you've ever thought to classify that that sort of sensation yeah, I guess so. I suppose I would kind of think of it as a sense of calm or a sense of complete stillness or peace. Um, and I think also kind of comparing to happiness, I feel like it perhaps is quite different. Like with happiness or like intense feelings in life, I'd kind of think of, you know, like going out and getting drunk and having loads of fun. But I think actually those like intensities are too much any kind of bliss they're way too high and too heightened well I think bliss is actually a lot more perhaps more on your own and just more with nature and having a more of a connection rather than being like so far detached which I kind of feel like with like drinking or going out is that feeling it's just a different kind of happiness or intensity yeah that's a good that's a good point I mean it's certainly not something I think of often when I'm in a pub, that this is blissful. Yeah. Or it's like, uh, <laughs> enjoyable or a, or, or a laugh, but not, not 
necessarily blissful. Um, so I'm, I'm curious though, because this is quite a personal, uh, experience, like you mm. said, it's kind of yourself connecting with, uh, the world in a sense, or the big self. Um, what, what was the first time you experienced this type of thing? Like what was your first bliss practice? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm not sure if this would be, oh, actually, okay, I'll tell a story and then it kind of ties in. So um, I can't actually remember the feeling associated with this story, but I can imagine what the feeling would have been. So it was when I was really young, I was about three or four, and um, it was at my grandparents' house. I had a massive, massive garden. And I don't particularly remember the story, but it's more just my parents' telling the story and basically I ran off to the end of the garden and just returned with a baby bird in my hands and obviously my parents were like where have you got this bird from this little brown bird um anyway it kind of transpired it had fallen out of a nest in the tree in the garden and I called this little bird brownie and um we kind of nursed this bird back to health I don't even I will actually have to ask my parents afterwards if this bird did make it and fly free again um but I think if I had to say my first moment of bliss, I think I've always felt bliss around animals. They always just bring a very like strong sense of grounding. Um, so kind of going on from that, I think my probably the most blissful moment I can think of is um, where I keep my horse. There's lots of like lots of different animals and they have lambings every year. And it was the first year that we'd moved our horse there. And I'd never really been around lambs before or anything like that. And um, there were these two twin lambs and I called them Jamie and Sammy. And I was just besotted, like actually besotted by them. I just thought they were incredible. And I remembered I just would sit in, um, in the stable where they were when they were first born and just watch them. And it was that moment where they both came over and they just started chewing the corner of my welly. I just thought, wow, like this, this tiny baby has just come over to me and just, you know, tried to be with me. And I formed this like great bond with them and they would just come over and just sit their heads on top of my welly. And um, yeah, and I think those, those are the moments where I just felt complete bliss, like, I guess, awe in a sense as well. But it was just a proper sense of calm and no thoughts about anything else at all. Mm. Wow, yeah, I completely agree with you in terms of the way that animals, uh, yeah, they kind of sh- shift dimensions on you. Or like, mm. your dimension gets shifts when, you, when you're interacting with them. Um, and I've never really had any pets, like uh, mammal mammals mm. as pets. <laughs> I feel like this is a uniquely uh, mammalian experience. Yeah. Like, do you think you would have had that same reaction to, like, uh, baby snakes or, or like a little baby lizard i don't know a lizard i could definitely see i'm not um i'm not scared of snakes but i've never really i think a small snake perhaps but yeah i think i probably would i think i just need time to uh get used to such a creature because i haven't encountered them much before i remember oh. actually there was a snake in your uni house um oh the, really yeah, in the bedroom next door to yours. There was a, a big red snake. I can't remember whose snake it was. Was it my brother's? No, it wasn't your brother's. It was a, like a big red snake. Um, 
that I went and saw. <laughs> I don't know whose snake it was. Um, <laughs> snake it was. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I never saw that snake. <laughs> oh, well, I met the snake. <laughs> and um, I was kind of scared of it. I won't lie, but it was a big snake. So I think uh, if it was a smaller snake, perhaps I wouldn't feel wouldn't feel as, as scared. I do actually have a video of a snake. I'll have to send it to you afterwards. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, at least in my experience, those those kinds of uh, goading animal experiences uh, really have only ever happened with, with mammals for me. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that a, a bliss practice which involves animals is certainly a lifelong one, unless something really bad were to happen. Yeah. Um, what are your current bliss practices? And do those also include um, any mammals? Yeah, so I say my current one has always been horse riding. That's always been my, like, normal. Like, I've always done that since I was eight. And I think it's always brought me such a sense of freedom. And it's just, like, the detachment from, like, being on my phone or feeling like I need to be available to people all the time. Um, And I actually really struggled over lockdown because basically where he lives... um, it's owned by an elderly couple and they're very vulnerable. And um, so for about six weeks, we couldn't go up. And I really, really struggled to kind of deal with that because as well as the riding, it's also just, you know, he's like family. So that was really hard. And I think I kind of realised how much that was my kind of escape and calm. Um, And I think it is something that's always really helped me to just stay in the moment, which I find really hard. So yeah, that would be probably my current one now. And then also, which I haven't actually done much recently just because I've been too busy, but just going for walks down to the beach and just sitting on the beach and just listening to the sound of the waves and the feel of the stones and the sand like underneath me. I think that is like a great blissful practice. Um, So I'd say for now, those are probably, those are the two that spring to mind. Yeah, I... uh... Again, completely agree. And yeah, there's something about, especially kind of just sitting there and watching the world go by, mm. like you would on the beach. That is very, um, yeah, it's, it's very blissful. It's very enjoyable. Um, I'm, I'm curious what, what these things have taught you. I, do you think you've learned anything from this, you know, connection with, with animals and, and or the, like kind of silence of nature yeah definitely um so I went to a catholic school and um I wouldn't I was actually quite religious when I was younger and then I kind of grew out of it and I always used to say to my mum whenever she said to me you should go to church blah blah blah. and she's not actually that religious either but there were events or you know times where she'd be like I really want you to come to church and I'd just say no and I just said she always said well what are you going to do with your kids like if you want to send to a catholic school which I kind of can agree with because I think like a catholic school actually was a really like good experience for me um but yeah I always used to say like I would just sit them in a field with a sheep and they can learn all they need to learn and that will teach them everything and I just think for me it taught me more than sitting in church ever could or listening to scriptures or anything and that's not to you know 
go against anyone who does find bliss in that way at all because I think it's obviously personal but for me like sitting in a field with a sheep taught me so much just about calm and spirituality and I think um yeah I think it just taught me to just be in the present moment and to not be thinking about everyone else and the external things that actually don't have you know much significance and I guess to also stop stressing about the small minor things that feel very big now but in you know two or three years will feel very small and you won't even really think about them um so yeah for me I think that's what it's taught is to enjoy the present moment and to not stress about things you can't control yeah yeah it's interesting I mean especially that uh you know that that thought of the kind of insignificance of the drama uh in life and how it's it's all kind of relative to uh, the intensity that you're experiencing in the moment it's interesting though that the a very um an experience kind of devoid of a lot of that stimulation something like sitting in a field with a sheep mm. that's quite uh you would think that's quite inconsequential inconsequential but you would probably remember that for much longer than the than the dramas like you would remember yeah. the the stillness of it which is quite interesting that it, it really has to do with the the depth that you get to mm. versus the maybe the heights yeah yeah definitely i think that's really true yeah um it well, so i know that you also you know you have this uh this poetry that you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what is, uh, what's your relationship to poetry and how does that, how have you experienced bliss through that um, medium? Mm. Well, I think when I first kind of started writing poetry, it kind of, this sounds a bit, I don't know what the word is, but it kind of just came to me and I'll just write it and then just leave it. Um, and it wasn't so much of a practice. It was more just a, oh, just write this down. Um, and I think for uni, it became more of a practice through like assignments and stuff. But actually, it was a, quite a calming process, you know, compared to writing an essay, perhaps. Writing a poem felt a lot more, you know, there wasn't that kind of sense of dread or that looming that I've got, you know, this big project. It was, oh, I can write a poem. And that's like something that I find easier to do. But um, and I think this conversation is interesting, actually, because it's making me realise I need to write some more poetry because it is actually a blissful practice but I think I put pressure on myself to be like this has to be an amazing poem this has to you know be recognized when actually it doesn't need to be recognized it can just sit in my notebook and never be read it doesn't matter um so I suppose in that sense it would be a lot more of a blissful practice to write for nobody just to write to write I guess well, this seems like an appropriate place to take a pause and actually share some of Layla's poetry. She was kind enough to record these three poems on Bliss, and uh, we will now have the chance to appreciate them. So thank you, dear listeners, and enjoy. So here are my poems on Bliss. There's three, and they're all animal-themed. Um, and for reference, Leo's the name of my horse. So this is the first one. It's called Leo. It's almost judgmental, his eyes creased above the brim, tells his knowledge. His loping stride, he licks and chews calm. I'd like to be, to lope, to lick and chew, to have such calm. To snort, to cool, to graze. 
flick tail up and prance, elastic hind legs bouncing off the ground. Day finished with a nap, face muddy, lips smushed, eyes soft. And then my second poem is called Mr Robin. Cocked his head, feathers bristled up and fat, splaying wings in water, small dunk, water droplets, little flick, hop to the right and always watching. And my last poem is called Birth. Wet, eyes gloopy, the first bleat, stumbled up, tumbled back down. She nudges him gently, slightly confused at the small thing stuck to her side. Soon he'll leap, spring and jump, move in a way that's erratic, almost comical. He doesn't mind the falls, rolls over onto four, shakes head and nestles into straw. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Layla. So in the spirit of sharing, I figured I would go ahead and share some of my own poetry. So here is a small selection. I wrote this one called The M Takes Flight while I was on a plane from Kagoshima to Tokyo in Japan. A musical muse meanders amidst these mellow meadows, mentally masticating away miles of moments. Below, misty mountains mingle with minutia, these meteorological minutes of a meager mage mounted aboard man's metallic magpie, marveling at its mystic mechanics. I melt my mind with mad mentations. The second poem I will share is called T2, To Shippel, and I wrote it uh, from London to Amsterdam on another plane. Leonardo, forsooth what we forsake, grumbling and mumbling our way through terminal modernity. Glory is lost in transit, instant coffee spiced ambrosia, be as gods da Vinci waxed, yet our Icarin wings melt through the ether. Weary minds take off to touch down, praying their souls were stowed with care. All right, thank you for listening to these short selections. We'll now get back to the rest of the conversation. Yeah, there's certainly like a, a level of pressure that artists or creatives put on themselves when, uh, I think, when they take themselves too seriously. And, mm. and we all take ourselves too seriously, to be honest. Yeah. Um, far too seriously. Because, uh, I mean, it's a similar thing. Like, I, I, I really enjoy writing poetry, uh, but I don't do it, you know, really all that often. I do it kind of when the muse strikes. Mm. So it's, um, but it's also something that I want to, I do want to do more of. I want to have like, you know, big, like wads of, wads of poetry that nobody's going to ever read, but just yeah. I don't know, have them as like expressions of what it meant for me to be in that moment. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think actually what I'm really trying to develop is the, the practice of, of podcasting and the, the art of conversation being that kind of, um, that kind of poetic outlet that that's almost more ephemeral because you people do listen to podcasts, but it takes, you know, a certain amount of time and focus for them Mm. to to read a poem is perhaps less investment, but there's something more dynamic about the, the poetry of a conversation. I think that, I don't know, it's quite appealing. Yeah. 
yeah definitely and I think um I think podcasts is actually I find quite blissful to make them and be part of them because it's really interesting to hear different people's perspectives and the way they think about the world um and in a way it's quite reassuring so I guess that would also be a blissful practice that I hadn't thought of before yeah yeah and I mean this kind of brings up the question I think which I was going to ask before is um does bliss come from within or without so when you say without how do how do you mean as in like do you find bliss if you don't have it or as in does bliss come from like external things yeah more from external things Mm. or more is it is it more endogenous like is it more created from within i think created from within definitely Mm. um but I think maybe not so much in the artificial sense as in like I wake up and I'm like right today I will find bliss and I you know kind of find it in myself to be like let's go you know find out where that might be in myself um but yeah I think it comes from that I really think it's a a real soul thing I think it's like that connection to your soul and that kind of feeling of like oh okay like this is what bliss feels like but I definitely don't really think but then again I'm thinking of external in the superficial sense rather than, you know, because I guess the sheep could be seen as external because the sheep kind of sparked my sense of bliss. But then I think that bliss still came from within myself because I was noticing, you know, the sheep, how the sheep was, my connection to the sheep. So just the presence of the sheep being there didn't make me have bliss. It was my kind of thoughts on the sheep. If that makes yeah, sense. you had to be there as well. Yeah. This is like kind of, um, this is making me think of a kind of classic problem in the philosophy of mind, which is the the mind body split and like the dualism between them. Like, where does me as a thinking thing, that's like what Descartes would say, where does that end and the and the world begin? Mm. And what does it actually mean to be to have like an awareness in the world? Like, are you just reacting to the contents of your own mind, or is it actually the world that you're directly experiencing um you know like there's a delay in a sense on everything that you see because you know photons of light need to travel through nerves to register in your brain and then like so there's these like mechanical processes going on that make it seem like oh yeah well i I guess i am experiencing kind of like lagged reality all the time yeah Uh, but does that really matter? Like, I mean, I think it's the, <laughs> it's where both come together, mm. the without and the within. That's kind of like the, when you walk on that razor's edge, that's kind of quite a blissful experience because there's a, a blending of, of the boundaries of like what it, what it feels like to be in that moment, I think. I don't know. <laughs> this is the first yeah. time I've asked myself the question as well. Yeah, it's such a, an interesting complex question to ask it's really made me think about a lot of things that I wouldn't have I've actually just looked in the mirror and I do have like a toy sheep just sat over <laughs> there looking at me as <laughs> I'm saying all this stuff that just made me laugh I wonder if those sheep will be in your dreams tonight uh, god yeah maybe maybe um so I guess kind of building off of this these questions of identity uh is both within or without what is it within or without? Is it all my mind or is it all just a world? Um, who are you 
when there's no bliss about? And who are you when it's abundant? Are you Mm. different? Yes, definitely. I think that's actually quite true for me at the moment because I think I've been kind of quite, not stressed, but very caught up in things. And it's kind of like a catch-22 because I'm not good when I'm not busy. But then when I'm busy, I feel like I need to have that, you know, kind of something to counteract it. But I think when you have those moments of bliss, if I was to have bliss all the time, I think I would just be so easygoing and so, not that I'm not easygoing, but so at peace and so calm. And I think almost kind of all-knowing in a sense, like in the way that everything will work out, it will all be fine. There's no need to worry. And I think without bliss, it would be the other way. I'll just be constantly fretting and worrying about things. Um yeah, without that kind of wash of calm that comes in occasionally. Mm. Yeah, I I completely resonate with that. Um, yeah, it feels like you're kind of like one violin that's out of tune in an orchestra. When, mm. when bliss is gone, you're like, oh, fuck, this sounds horrible. It's like it's, something is not right. Um, and then when you get into tune, you're just like, you become one with the rest of the with the rest of the music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that there's interest, this is actually a, a problem or a, a question uh, that people have asked me for a very long time. And I was, uh, in one of my courses, I'm taking Hellenistic philosophy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was learning about Epicurus and Epicureanism as term. And all of these Hellenistic philosophers who were like from about, 300 BC in ancient Greece. Um, they were all thinking about how to live uh, the good life. Eudaimonia is our word. Um, and that means different things for different different of them. But uh, Epicurus basically said, eudaimonia, or the ultimate good, is to a- attain um, contentment in your life. Mm. To, um, to be content, to have a calm, tranquil mind, is is the ultimate good. And once you attain that, uh, you've done it. Like, yeah. great job. Um, he called that at- ataraxia. That's the Greek Greek word for it. Um, I think it's a cool word. Mm. Um, Has a nice but, ring. So he was also a hedonist. And he was just like, which is basically his philosophy of how to get to contentment. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't a hedonist in like the kind of normal sense. He was, I think of him as like a conservative hedonist, which sounds like an oxymoron. But um, what he basically said was, you should seek pleasure up to the point of contentment. But then once you are content, i.e. like once you aren't hungry anymore when you're eating, mm-hmm. um, then you should stop. Because pursuing more pleasure after that will ultimately result in, in pain. Like, mm. you, you know, you might have two drinks and like get a nice buzz, but then four times later you like you've lost it. Yeah. Um, and so there's something very interesting to be said there about not uh overindulging having like Mm. a kind of equanimous mind where like you said everything is just kind of fine and everything will just work out yeah Uh, it's interesting like people have been like your answer was very similar to actually epicurus's i think Mm. Uh, it's a it's a common sense way of maybe going about you know a problem that many people have been thinking about yeah I think that's so interesting that actually 
having containment and then not looking for more. And I think that's so easily not done, I think. And just the kind of metaphor you used, actually, I think is so true. Like, I'll have a drink, have a nice little buzz, I feel great. And then I'll just keep pushing it and pushing it and trying to reach that, you know, point that just doesn't, it's just not there. It doesn't exist. Um, And I think that's a very hard thing to do is learning not to settle, but just to not be striving for something that is just unattainable and, you know, way too much. And I think society sometimes is perhaps a little bit to blame for that. It's always, you know, one success is never enough. You have to have 5,000 successes. Um, When actually, who's to say, you know, getting out of bed isn't a bit of a success sometimes. Like, it doesn't always have to be something, you know, massively huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And especially if you are judging your success based on other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, if you're judging how, you know, how popular your Instagram is, like how good of a photographer you are mm. versus a professional photographer um, who's, like, got tons of followers. And it's like, I don't know, it's, there's this, yeah, there's this thing about, I think there's a, a very deep fallacy of judging your success on other people's success. Yeah. Um, because the only person you can really judge yourself on is like who you were yesterday or who you are today. Um, that's kind of the only fair uh, real estimate. But that's not to say that you need to live in a vacuum. Like it's mm. good to have ambition. But this is, I think, really just a question of desire, like unbridled desire. Yeah. Which well, like the the Buddhists might say it's like, well, this is your your mind craving mm. craving the world mm. habitually and obsessively. Um Yeah. A lot of different people attack this problem from from many angles. Because it seems to be the maybe a key. If you can reduce the amount of things you desire in the world, um you'll probably live a more tranquil tranquil yeah. life. But you won't feel like yeah. you need all these things yeah yeah definitely yeah um I think I'd love to actually work on that more the kind of feeling like you need these essential things when actually probably what there's this quote and I always see it everywhere it's saying that what you need you can find within yourself and I do think it's true but it's a hard pill to swallow because I'm like oh (laughs) I can figure this out myself, and I just, but I can't figure it out. And there's kind of that frustration element to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it sucks to become responsible for something like that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you, you want someone to be able to give it to you, or you want to be able to buy it, um, and then and then you just be able to relax. It's, mm. it's a lot more work to uh, plumb the depths with a uh, yeah, go into your own jungle. It's a scary place yeah definitely but hopefully by exploring that there would be some sense of reward or findings for sure yes well i mean speaking of findings um in my own experience when i've been in when when the external pressure has been high and it's come in you know many different ways many different forms academically emotionally uh physically like there's all these ways that you can experience pressure in the world. Um, often in, in those in those moments, I feel the most inspired. I feel like the world's kind of like squeezing <laughs> um, something out of me. And I feel like that's kind of when I feel 
most inspired to write poetry or kind of create is when there's like almost a little bit of an edge and I need to like put my energy into this, um, back into the world in it, in a way that, uh, feels balancing. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question to you is when do you feel the most inspired to create or to, um, I don't know, connect like, or to do a bliss practice? I think, um, it maybe be at two points. I think kind of at a point where I feel like bliss has been lost or I haven't felt bliss in a while. And I'm like, oh, hang on, I need to kind of, you know, reset myself slightly. Then I perhaps would more consciously do a practice of bliss, to find bliss. Um, but then also I think when I feel more settled naturally, I think bliss occurs, just occurs. But I think also bliss does just happen in the kind of spontaneous and the unexpected. Like I'm also just thinking about a time when my friends Gemma and Lauren said, we really want to go to um, Laworth Cove in Durdledor, which is basically not far from where we live. And it's just this amazing part of the Jurassic Coast. and It's just beautiful. And I basically had work the next day and I just thought, Do you know what? I'm just, I really, really want to go. It's one of the last days of summer and it was meant to be like an amazing day. So I just texted my boss and I said, is there any chance I can have the day off? And she said, yeah. And we just went on this like road trip and we went to loads of different rock pools and it was just one of the most blissful days and it was so light and so easy. And I think often that comes from the unexpected and the unthought about. Yeah, yeah. I've... Yeah, indeed. I mean, and there's something also there about like listening to the little voice that said like, yeah, ask your boss yeah yeah (laughs) because i mean like you didn't like i'm sure you went through a thought process of like an internal conversation with yourself like should should i do this yeah yeah right but then there's this there was this voice or this energy that was like yes do it and Mm -hmm. you trusted that and then it was like great good job here's your reward for like paying attention to your uh intuition Mm. um yeah, there's something really uh, mysterious about that that energy of um, almost going with the flow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, definitely going with the flow. Actually, to bring it back to the um, to the ancient Greeks, Socrates uh, used to speak about his daemon, which was like this kind of disembodied voice that would hang around him um, and kind of inspire him or reprimand him or kind of speak to him in mm. ways that uh to modern day people he might seem schizophrenic <laughs> yeah <laughs> to the degree to the degree that he was like really kind of interacting with and listening to mm-hmm. this this voice but he was also a deeply uh connected person like he the the way that the way that he thought was obviously like we still think about or still talk about like the things that Socrates quote unquote said through mm. through Plato, but still it's like uh, there's something very magical about connecting with that energy, and it's something that people have been doing for a really long time as well. And it's kind of got it's tried and true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you say about that kind of that little voice. I think it's a tricky one. I think there's been points where like. The little voice happens in its kind of rawest form, rare, I don't know about rawest form, yeah. But then I think 
sometimes my brain notices a little voice. It's like, oh, how can we kind of play about with this? And let's just throw loads of random ideas in here. And I'm like, whoa, hang on. Like, I don't sign up for all this, you know, anxiety that kind of comes with the, the little voice now. Like, like, oh, what if you did this? Or what if you did that? But I guess in the nicest way, that's kind of your brain's, like, creativity or playfulness then, you know, and being just active. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely did think about you know, like, oh, should I not? Because I don't want to get in trouble with my boss. I don't want to look lazy and not going to work. And that, yeah, like that internal monologue, I guess. Um, but like you said, it did bring a good reward. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, there's something to be said about the kind of logical part of the mind that's mm. always problem solving and being very rational. Um, and then the kind of the unconscious out of the mind that's very uh, emotive and based on sensation and feeling and mm. kind of chaotic, like, energies. Um, and when you're able to relax, that's kind of what what comes up. And yeah. I, I think that provides a lot of the richness to life. I, I, at least in my experience, that's kind of where, uh, out of that chaos is where, like, the words of, of poetry come and stuff like that. Mm. Um, yeah, if, you, if you're able to kind of play between the two you can kind of begin to put shape to all of that that madness um <laughs> which is quite quite exciting at times mm, yeah definitely um so i'm curious what uh what gets in the way of of this for you definitely phones and the superficial things definitely I've really, I feel like I've really kind of realised perhaps that phones are more of an issue to me than I thought. But that definitely does. The the stress of messages, the stress of, you know, having something that can so easily distract me so close. Um, I think that's the, yeah, kind of the key for me is that you know, phones, social media can distract me away from the present moment and my feelings so easily, um, which I guess stops bliss happening because I'm not, you know, noticing and observing and being present. Um, so, yeah, I would say that. And I think that's very difficult to separate yourself from because I think I'm, you know, I think everyone's kind of got a bit of an addiction to their phone and um, and that's just become kind of the norm now. But I used to, um, when I was younger, when I was about 13, 14, when I went up to ride, I'd leave my phone in the car, in the glove box, and lock it in the car. And I just said to myself, you know, this is my time to go out and ride and be with the animals, and my phone doesn't come with me for this. And I actually would love to still do that now, and I would still do it, but I can't go out riding, because I normally ride on my own, and I just can't go out without a phone. It's just too unsafe, you know. If I fell off or something happened, it would just be dangerous but I would love to do that or maybe you know I could put my phone in airplane mode that's a compromise um but yeah. yeah having that separation and that no distraction from the present I think yeah definitely um I mean phones are designed to do that mm. um that's the whole point of the algorithm to suck your suck your attention down the scroll hole yeah uh, yeah you're gone um, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, not having, um, not having clear boundaries on my time as well, like yeah. not being able to switch off, um, 
thinking about you know schoolwork or um, other problems that keep kind of encroaching on other tasks I'm trying to do. Mm. Being able to kind of delineate my day better tends to produce more blissful experiences while I'm in them. Um, even just like the bliss of reading some like an article or something like that yeah. that can actually be quite enjoyable if there's if there aren't three other things that I'm thinking about at the same time mm-hmm. and then I'm not actually reading the article I'm just yeah. trying to solve multiple problems and then I you get to the end of the page and you're like well I have no idea what I just read yeah <laughs> that that's infuriating for me yeah uh but but the, and that's also you know the phone has a lot to do with that because I can if I have like a, a very pressing thought, I know that I can just put down the, the article and immediately sort it or, or message this person that needs to be contacted or something. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's really this kind of the spider web, like insidious energy of mm. fractured attention, which definitely reduces the, at least the quantity of bliss, if not the quality as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you know what? I'm going to end this podcast with a little exercise, which is on purpose a surprise uh, to you. Um, it's basically word association. Oh, okay. Uh, so not too many, maybe eight or nine, maybe ten. Who knows if you're lucky. Um, just say the first word that pops in your head when okay. you hear this thing. Um, you really mustn't think about it too long. Just okay. one word. Single word. Okay. Or, you know, can be a phrase, short phrase. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. Okay, let's go. Driftwood. Beach. Ocean. Wave. Sun. Moon. Sheep. Cow. Sugar. Sweet. Orchestra. Ooh. <laughs> so I'm thinking about it now, which doesn't count. Violin. Oh, cathedral. Church. Tidal pool. Longshore drift. I don't know why that came into my head. Milo. Oh, happy. Yellowstone. Nice. Remember. (laughs) Joy. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you, Layla. That's... uh... That's all we've got time for. But <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate you. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Awesome. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.